You're listening to The Cannabis Hangout, two girls, one bowl, and a podcast that is breaking the stigma of marijuana. My name is Brandon. And my name is Saba. We will be connecting with a community of cannabis enthusiasts by educating people, sharing stories from medical marijuana patients, and interviewing industry leaders while debunking cannabis myths. So we invite you to come roll with us while while we we break break it all down. All right, you know we love terpenes, which is why we're jamming with Nevada's terpene-rich, naturally-flavored cannabis oil vaporizers that allow you to curate your high with their mind-body series. They provide you with six experiences that range from full mind to full body. So, Saab, tell the people about the flavors. So, each vaporizer has an enticing flavor profile like strawberry, tangerine, Tropical, lime, blueberry, and wild grape. I've personally been rocking with the mind-dominant tangerine vaporizer lately, and the major terpene is terpenaline, and I've enjoyed it while hiking in the outdoors and just being active in general. And for me, the blueberry vaporizer that's body-dominant is what I've been enjoying, and the top terpene is limonene, which is great for relaxing my body and uplifting my mind. So whether you're a seasoned smoker or you're someone new, everyone should be able to enjoy the full spectrum of wellness mindfulness and fun that cannabis brings to life. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode. I'm Saba. And I'm Brandon. And we are your hosts of the Cannabis Hangout. On today's episode, we are very excited to chop it up with someone we've seen making waves in the cannabis community here in Oklahoma. Combining artwork and cannabis is really what put him on the map, but his quality of his product is has is what has kept him here. We cannot wait to pick his brain about cultivation, art, and the community. So guys, please welcome Clint with Papa Jesus Farms to the Cannabis Hangout. I appreciate you having me. I'm yeah. Looking forward to it. This is going to be fun. Yeah. Thanks for ta- for taking time yeah. to like out of your day to be here with us. Most definitely. Yeah. Let's just dump, jump right in. <laughs> Tell us where your cannabis journey first began and like when was the first time you ever consumed? Yeah, for sure. So, um, you know, I, I'm... Um, Graduated from high school in 94, so kind of showing my age a little bit here. Um, I really didn't start smoking um, really till after high school. You know, I grew up in a very small town in Texas. Um, You know, we didn't really have access to a lot of cannabis or any type of really drugs at the time because it's just such a small, small town, you know. So so really until I started venturing out of the, the, the town and going to like Austin, Texas, Dallas, Fort Worth, is really when I started getting more exposed to cannabis. And um, back then, it was more of your Mexican brickweed. So yeah. mm-hmm. a lot of sticks, a lot of stems, but, you know, hey, that's what we could have. So, um, <clears throat> you know, I, once I started going to Austin, I started getting introduced to more of um, higher-quality type weed. And back then, we called it kind bud. There wasn't really any specific strain names or anything like that. And mm. you would see really some different varieties come through, but it was either – Mexican red hair or Colombian or, um, you know, Panama red or just dubbed as kind bud. So kind bud. I like that name. Yeah. So oh, um, soft, gentle. So I think the first time really, you know, it was some really super sticky stuff. And this is probably like 1998, 99 that I came across it. And, you know, I just fell in love with the quality there. Yeah. And so then I was like at a, you know, I'm tired of buying shitty weed. I'm tired of, um, paying overpriced for, you know, decent quality at the time. So I just started growing my own. And this is probably like 99, okay. early 2000. Yeah. Um, in Texas, highly illegal. So I just, um, you know, had to keep it pretty covert, pretty pretty much for myself, maybe hook my friends up a little right. bit. And that's when I really started building a passion for it. You know, my cousin Jeff and I, we um, went to Amsterdam in um, late 2000 and just kind of went, seed hunting, you mm-hmm. know, sourcing some seeds, got some greenhouse stuff, some stuff from Barney's, um, and brought it back and, and started cultivating, um, you know, different varieties, hunting through seeds, taking cuts, taking clones. Um, wow. and back then, you know, and, and this is still early 2000, 2001, it was, especially in Texas, it was very difficult to get any type of grow equipment from lights to soil to nutrients. It just wasn't accessible like it is today. So, you know, that, that kind of helped, I guess, me learn more about the plant and building mm-hmm, soils mm-hmm. Um, and understanding that process because we had to source our own materials and everything. So yeah. that kind of, I guess it's late 90s, early Where 2000. were you growing, you said again? In Texas. In Texas. And so y'all, it was just a smooth operation all the time. You never, did you I run mean, into any trouble with that? I mean, 
like legally, yeah, no, legally, le- legally, no, because uh-huh. we, we kept it small. I mean, he, you know, he was growing at his house and, and mm-hmm. really more for personal use and hooking the friends up. Yeah. I was doing the same thing at mine, so it wasn't anything that you know we we're you know trapping on a large scale. Just okay, for okay, home grow. You know, yeah, that, yeah. Just didn't want that type of attention. It was right. Just, we just got tired of paying for overpriced weed, and it, you know, just started really enjoying growing our own. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that's that's kind of what got me started with it and started building a passion back then. Cool. Wow, that's cool. It's cool to hear people like yourself who have been in the game for so long and kind of where they started and especially different story. For where for where mm-hmm. we are now and like us younger generation and us getting to consume like and where you guys started like super underground and now you guys can't openly consume. I'm sure that was like a weird adjustment also. Right. So, you know, I so I backed off from it for, you know, for many years. I mean, you know, life changes, you know, I, you know, I wasn't for sure what direction I was going to go in life. I, you know, my early twenties, I DJed a lot in Dallas and, and, uh, you know, just all around really. And mm-hmm. I was big into electronic music, uh, playing a lot of the underground scenes, a lot of the club okay. circuits in the Dallas area. Um, the raves were big at that time. So yeah. these are like the big, massive outdoor raves That's cool. um, that they don't necessarily have anymore. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, so I went through that kind of stage in my life and then, um, you know, just really got more into, um, I, I would say more like a corporate work type setting because that's what paid the bills, you yeah. know, and that's, that's mm-hmm. the direction that at that time in my life that I was going. And, you know, I had to really step away from the growing piece of it, um, you know, just to focus more on family life and, and, you know, the, the, the work, cause that's, you know, that's what paid the bills. That's what right. kept food like, on the table, that type yeah. of stuff. So, growing, you have to use yeah. all your heart, mind yeah. and soul, everything into that. hundred percent. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it wasn't until just really um, 2016 that I decided to leave more of the, the corporate-type world, that type of environment, and venture out on my own into the cannabis space. Cool. So, you know, I made that decision, transitioned over to that, and it's been, been pretty cool since. Yeah. Wow, I love to hear that. That's so cool. More. Yeah, absolutely. So, let's flip the script just a little and yeah. talk to you as a patient. Sure. So as a patient, what is your favorite method of consumption? What's your go-to strain? And what pieces do you use when you smoke? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm a, I'm a joint guy. I like, I like smoking, um, you know, big joints. Um, I, for, for me, uh, as a connoisseur type smoker, and I think that's why I like cultivating as many varieties as I do and working through the genetics is because, you know, I like one, I like to see how this plant grows, all mm-hmm. the different types of strains. Um, and cultivars out there, but I also like to be able to experience them from a from a connoisseur perspective in the way that I smoke them. So for me, what I found the best way for me to analyze each one of them is to smoke it in a joint because I can tell you know how quickly into that joint am I feeling it? Mm-hmm. Am I tasting? Am I tasting it from start to finish? How is it burning? Is it burning clean? You know, do I need to adjust? You know, lower the nitrogen or adjust this. You know, for, cool. for the next round. Wow. So a joint allows me to be able to access everything I need to from a quality perspective, from a potency perspective, from a terpene perspective, yeah. mm-hmm. where I can't necessarily get that from you know one rip out of a bong. You know, I'm immediately yeah. yes. going to get that instant high. It's not the same. It's mm-hmm. not the same. So, yeah. so for me, my preferred way is smoking joints. Um, although, um, as a smoker, I will smoke smoke it any way that's in front of me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I feel that for sure. I can yeah. relate. <laughs> So tell us a little bit, Clint, about what you do and what Papa Jesus Farms is. Yes. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm a small, more artisanal batch grow. You know, I don't, I don't produce on a large scale. Um, I, you know, really want to keep it, you know, on a small batch level like that and still put out, you know, variety. Um, I am expanding my facility, so I would be able to put out a little bit more um, varieties on a consistent basis right now instead of waiting, you know, weeks in between harvest, um, um, you know, because I want to be able to get as much out to the patient on a consistent basis as I can. Yeah. Um, but for me right now, because I do have more of a smaller cultivation, I run right at 100 lights in my facility here. I do have some expansion projects I'm, I'm kind of uh, taking on more from a consultant approach that does give me more lights, but not necessarily cultivate my brand under mm-hmm. that because I don't, I don't want to dilute the brand in the market by overproducing. Yeah. Um, yes. Mm-hmm. You nice. know, I, I really don't. So for me, um, I kind of wear all the hats, you know, I do my marketing, I do the, the, the packaging design. I mean, I don't 
draw it, of course. I mm-hmm. work with work with some fabulous fabulous artists that do it for me. But um, you know, I handle my compliance, um, all my licensing stuff. Um, I mop the floors. I, I sometimes trim the weed. I harvest. Yeah, you wear all the hats. I wear all the That's hats. That's amazing. Yeah. So so I love being involved from start to finish. Um, but now as my business is growing. Mm-hmm. I have to kind of evolve out of doing everything. Right. So I have been building a team, um, a, a solid team. My younger brother uh, from Texas is moving up here at the end of the year. So he's going to take on really a lot of the day-to-day responsibilities I do in the growth side of it. Yeah. So I can focus more on building the bigger business. Mm-hmm. So when, you know, the second part of the question was what is Papa Jesus Farm? So it's really just um, – Focusing on the quality of genetics, uh, I do a ton of pheno hunting. So everything that I run, I, I have started from seed and gone through that selection process, which can sometimes take a year, year and a half before I run, uh, before I roll a new genetic out to market. Okay. Um, so Papa Jesus is really just, I think of it as, you know, pop, I mean, you guys have probably heard a little bit of the story with you know the the name coming from my dad. Okay. So my dad, my dad's always been called Papa. Um, the Jesus kind of came in because we smoked him out really hard one night, and he's laid back in the <laughs> Jesus pose, so it just kind of stuck. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, so I didn't I, know the story. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. no, no, yeah, no, I've never heard the story. Yeah, here <laughs> so. for it. Setting up a new company can be difficult and confusing, but establishing a strong foundation with appropriate and necessary documents can help protect you in the long run. Yes, and with being business owners ourselves, Sob, we understand what it's like pretty well, I think. With BIC Legal, they practice in areas like family law, estate planning, business litigation, and review and draft contracts for your company while assisting in licensing applications, and so much more. And with the Oklahoma cannabis industry thriving, the rules and regulations related to cannabis are quite strict. Jade Pebworth with BIC Legal, she really enjoys working with companies from the ground up. So if you're looking for good legal help in Oklahoma, she's your girl. Let's get back to today's episode. So so my dad, I'll back up a little bit okay. and tell a little bit of it. So my dad has liver disease, and he's had it for about about six going on eight years now. And, um, back in, you know, 2015, 2016, he was doing really, really poor health wise. And he was on a lot of prescription pills. He was, um, you know, health was declining. He was in and out of the hospital, like Mm. every three, four weeks, um, just in and out. And, um, the doctor had given him like a year and a half to live. And, you know, at that point, you know, he couldn't, he couldn't really medicate with cannabis. One, he's in Texas. Two, if he tested positive, he would lose his insurance, his benefits from wow. from his job. You know, even though he was out on medical leave because of his condition, he still had to have random drug tests. He still had to, you know, you know, have his health insurance because that was critical yeah. to getting his medication. Right. So, you know, he's always been my, my parents have always been smokers since I can remember since I was okay. a kid. Um, That's cool. You know, so it, it's unfortunate that he couldn't medicate with it. So at the, he got to a point to where. You know, when the doctor give, gave him a year and a half, you know, at that point, he's like, okay, you know, try whatever you want to try. It was, you know, it was, it was a risk worth taking. So he had just got out of the hospital. My younger brother and I drove him to Colorado. Okay. We loaded him up with, we hit like, I can't remember how many dispensaries. And we loaded him up with some CBD um, tinctures, um, uh, CBD strains, a lot of RSO. And drove back to Texas, and then month over month, his health just started improving. The more he started getting this in his system, the more it started working for him, and he started dropping prescription pills. I think he's on like 17 different prescription pills at one time. And so he started slowly dropping these month over month after he's getting Mm -hmm. more of this cannabis in him. And he started eating better. He started sleeping better. He was up, you know, gaining weight, getting healthy. Wait, so was he passing drug tests during this time? He, um, he he had, he had resigned from his job. Okay, okay. So at that time, it really didn't matter. Yeah, he yeah, said, not at all. Yeah, not at all. So um, he his every time he'd go back for his checkups, his 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 blood levels were improving, his number count. I mean, everything wow. was just improving all around. Mm-hmm. So um, you know, so his mind started getting healthier because right. when you you know, and, and I haven't been in this position, but I'm sure that if you're told you only have a certain amount of time to live. Mm-hmm. It can it can mess with you mentally. So For sure. it was really hitting him mentally, and um, that was part of the whole process in keeping him healthy. It was not just getting the cannabis in him, but also helping keep his mind healthy. So he had found a bag seed in some of the product we bought brought back from Colorado, 
he found some of my old lights out in the garage or something and started growing in his closet. That's dope. So he started, he started, <laughs> that's wi- really yeah, cool. Yeah, for sure. So he started, he started, you know, nurturing this plant from seed, the growth, so that the growth of that plant helped, you know, helped him mentally yeah. focus on now I'm, I'm nurturing this living thing. So he's stopped thinking about, oh, I'm dying, I'm dying, I'm he's dying. He's pouring into what's yeah. pouring into him 100%, pretty much. 100%. Yeah. So at that, at that time, you know, I was going through a little bit of a transition in my life. I was burned out in the corporate workspace. And, um, you know, I saw how it was helping him. I've always been a big believer in cannabis, um, you know, and, and it was just kind of like a sign that said, you know what, I need to figure out a way to get into this industry. I was watching what Texas was doing. Texas was moving very slow from a legal perspective. And honestly, when I jumped into the cannabis space, I wasn't thinking about doing it as an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. Um, I was applying for positions as bud tenders in Colorado, Vegas, all the markets. Um, I was looking at, you know, working in grows from the bottom up, working my way up. And, you know, I just couldn't get any type of mm-hmm. offers, no interviews, nothing because I didn't have cannabis experience on my resume. Everything was management, you know, this, right. this, and this. So nobody was even entertaining um, my resume as, as an offer. So um, I'll try to keep this short because I can ramble like crazy. Oh, you're so, good. So, um, so, you know, I, I, I came across this, this opening um, of a new dispensary that was opening in uh, Oregon. So Portland, Oregon, they were opening two dispensaries, farm grass table. Okay. Um, it was led by Luke Ramirez. He, he owns, um, a few dispensaries and grows out in Colorado. So they were him and a couple of investors were, were opening farm grass table in Portland and Mount hood, Oregon. So I was like, okay. Um, it was a CFO position to kind of manage those stores to get them up and running. Cause they were new. And I'm like, all right, this fits more in line with my background. So I'm apply for it. I did get an interview, uh, which was cool. So that interview kind of pushed me to really research the market. So I researched all of Oregon, top strains, uh, what it would take, you know, as far as licensing to get in there, everything mm-hmm. that I could learn about that market, I learned. So it kind of it essentially pushed me to build a business plan for the Oregon market as if I was taking on these stores, how would I structure them? How would I handle the marketing, the staffing, all that stuff? So you know, obviously I didn't get the job and I understand, you know, I wasn't local. I didn't necessarily have the cannabis specific experience, but that interview is what gave me the opportunity to say, you know what? No one wants to hire me. Fuck it. I'm just going to do it myself. Yeah. Yeah. So so that's what happened. So, um, I went to Oregon. My, my business plan was really focused on the retail side of it because Oregon, you know, there's already some great cultivators out there. The market was getting pretty saturated at the time. And, you know, my, my thought process was I was going to go into retail, open a retail store to allow more of an avenue for some of these top shelf growers to be a part of. Mm-hmm. Um, so I spent months out there in Oregon, just walking the streets, looking for properties, letters, letters of intent just kept falling through. And, and, you know, I've probably spent twelve fifteen thousand $15,000 just on legal fees, just vetting. Yeah, isn't that annoying? It yeah. is. Just, just vetting out properties to see if they would work. So I was thinking, yes, I was like, shit, man, you know, I can't keep wasting any more time out right. here. So I had to flip the script on the business plan, find cultivation, do cultivation, get that up and running, and then look at acquiring a retail license or um, business, um, you know, later on. Mm-hmm. So Oregon decided in June, I believe, of 2018 to stop accepting new licenses. So mine was still pending. I was building out on this property. So this guy was, um, he had like 44 acres. He was building a cannabis park for other businesses. So, you know, I, long story short, I lost almost half a million dollars out there. Oh. So, so the property owner was taking money, project money from investors, like over $32 million, and not putting it towards the project to get power, utilities, all mm. that stuff in that's needed. Mm. He was taking tenants' money, using it for personal stuff. So, um yeah, so ended up he ended up going to litigation, and because you know I was so far down on the list of of money put into it, I you know I just ended up losing my building and and licensing and everything that was yeah. just sitting out there. So, yeah, you know, I had to make it. Yeah, I had to make a decision at that time um, what to do. Right. You know, I, I just started like three hundred seeds in my two bedroom apartment mm. in Oregon City. Oh gosh, so that's where I started. Yeah. That's where I started my <laughs> pheno hunting. Was in my apart- wow. in my apartment. Because I wanted to time it as to when my facility and licenses was supposed to be ready. Okay. Because I wanted to hit the market in Oregon with brand new genetics that no one else yeah. had. And, you know, 
be able to really try to get ahead. Well, that didn't happen. So I had to figure out, okay, now what I do with these 300 seeds is uh, 300 plants. It was, it was, um, that's where like my black cherry punch came from. Glazed apricot gelato, crystal cookies. Okay. Okay. That's cool. All those were started in my apartment. So, you know, I, I, I found, I found a a licensed grow that helped me out and we did some pheno hunting and, you know, really, you know, started working through that process out there until I could figure out really what to do. And um, Oklahoma opened up. I watched it for about four, four or five months and decided, you know what, I need to figure out a way to get back closer to home to Texas. So I ended up, um, you know, getting down here to Oklahoma and getting licensed, getting a building. And that's just kind of where I'm at now. I love that. That's That's such a story. So personal too, like from the ground up. And I feel like you're always, from everything you said so far, you always have a plan or like you're always on top of something or like three steps ahead. I know. It's cool. Which is like the hustle mindset. It really is. Which is really admirable. I know. You know, you you have to be in this industry. It's, it's not easy at all. You know, it's, it's extremely, extremely hard. Um, you know, you can run out of money. You're going to burn through cash extremely fast. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. I, it's happened to me. You know, especially in Oregon. Uh, but you know, you, if you if you try to stay ahead, or if you really believe in yourself and your vision and have that faith, right? You know, I think you're going to overcome the challenges and, and just keep pushing forward. And that, yeah. you know, that's I stay I stay true to my vision and in in you know where I want to go and the life I'm trying to build. So I'm right. You know, I, 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 I feel right now I can take on any challenge that comes to me. I love, I love that. that. That's and a that's really a, good mindset. That's a good, like, inner space within yourself. For you're sure. in yeah. that kind of stuff to be moving in your brain like that, yeah. which is really cool. So, Clint, for those people who don't know, um, like, how would you say, what's your method of growing? And because I know it's important for people to, you know, know how their cannabis is grown. So if you don't mind just sharing. Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate the question. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, 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 I grow everything in soil. So I use Royal Gold King's Mix Soil. I've been using that since I was in Oregon. Um, love it. You know, I, I amend that with some soil builder uh, just to kind of give it a little bit more richness and really extend the life of the soil uh, through the duration of the plant cycle. Okay. Um, so I, I run living soil beds, although I do not cultivate in true living soil. So I re-amend my soil after every run with... You know, different different um, stuff like azomite, uh, fishbone meal, um, soy builder, which has different types of bagwat on it, just just to kind of um, just really build a nice um, uh, base for the plants. Um, I use plant based nutrients from BioBiz, so I use their complete line as my um, as my base nutrients, okay. and then I run teas once a week, and I do that all the way through uh, veg through flower. Um, I feel it just kind of you know, I've, I've ran synthetics before. I've ran hydro setups. Um, to me, the organic, you just can't beat the quality and the taste that comes. Yeah. From yeah. Yeah. I have to agree with that. That's so, good. Yeah. yeah. So, so lighting, I use LED lighting. So, um, I've been using fluence really since, um, I was in Oregon since about 20, 2017 and I won't go back. Um, you know, they just, just crush it from a, um, uh, terpene THC perspective, yield perspective, uh, they bring out more of the vibrant colors in the flowers, which um, you don't typically typically get from your traditional HPS lights. And they also are very energy efficient, you know. So I can cut down cut down the 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 need for my HVAC consumption in half, you know. Wow. So instead mm-hmm. of running, you know, twelve tons per room, I can run six to eight tons per room, and you know, so it it, it saves on electricity. Um, right. I also recycle all of my condensate condensate. So. Everything that comes from the dehumidifiers, from the HVAC, I recycle that through filtration. So that's the water that I use instead of running using city water. So I try to be as, as green as possible in the okay. way that I cultivate. That's interesting. That's cool. I like to hear that. It's nice to hear it straight from the grower, especially as a yes. consumer, because I feel like people don't get to hear that often enough. Sure. So I'm sure people and that are willing. listening really appreciate it. Yeah, willing sure. that you're so open to share. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, most definitely. I mean, I, I love being able to share information. Um you know, I think everybody grows their own way. For uh, sure. There's, you know, a lot of people try to be secretive in the way they do things. Yeah. To me, there's just really no secret. It's just hard work, um, you know, put, sure. putting in the passion, the love every yes. day, and just following a consistent um, regiment that works for you. You know, yeah. I think if you stay true to that and be consistent, then you're going to have great product and, um, 
you know, you're going to enjoy doing it as well. Yeah, yeah, that's real. So let's flip the script for a second and talk about the unique aspect that you have brought to Oklahoma and this cannabis industry. Yeah. Um, so for those listening, Papa Jesus Farm is sold prepackaged for the majority of it with very unique art on each strain to represent the strain. And also he has an artist that has taken time to create it for him. So what was the vision behind that? And how did you come up with just that unique concept, sure. idea, all of it? Yeah, so I'll, I'll try to keep this short too. But um, so, so on the prepackaging thing, so we really don't prepackage. So there's only, there's only one shop in town that really um, does the prepackaging that's high voltage. Okay. So okay. I, I cure everything in jars. Um, I have almost like a wine cellar set up okay, um, cool. in my dry cure room. So I keep it dark. I keep it you know, around 60 degrees, uh, 60% humidity at all times. And I, I, I cure in these big jars. The jars hold essentially a half a pound each. So I have a whole wall. You, you have to come over and see it sometime. Yeah, yeah. we'd love to. So, um, but, but, going to the, but going to the artwork, so that really started when I was out in Oregon. You know, I was, I was looking at what a lot of the, the brands on the West Coast were doing at the time. And for me, you know, going into the Oregon market, especially when you, when you look at the quality of product that's out there, um, I, I wanted to do something different, bring something different to the market other than just growing good weed. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. I wanted to focus on the packaging, on the brand. Eye-catching. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. most definitely. So um, I, I linked up with this artist out of L.A. named Miguel Lopez, and um, he's done some illustration for Warner Brothers, like the Marvin the Martian and stuff like cool. that. And, and um, he did this one for uh, for mutant genetics for their Aztec cookies. I'm like, I love it. It's dope. And so I gave him a list of like 20 strains, Black Cherry Punch, Strawberry Shortcake, Tangerine Dream, King's Kush. I mean, a whole How whole, cool. Li- whole and he just made them based off of those? Yeah. So, That's so, dope. so he, you know, we kind of collaborated on the concept. So the, yeah. so the artist I work with, so I work with two. So Roberlin, um, he's out of Brazil. He's been doing a lot of the most recent designs, like the Tiger Cake you see here. Wow. Um, he, he's just a phenomenal artist to mm. work with. Um, but basically, the process is: I will look at I will look at the genetics that I'm hunting through, the genetics I'm gonna bring to market, and I I really take that creative time to think: okay, what is what is something that'd be really cool for that strain? So these are my vision mm-hmm. that I put down on paper, and then the artist brings them That's to life. That's so cool. That is so That's like so personal. Cool. It really yeah. is. Did you just find these artists like online? Yeah. So so Miguel, I was searching. Um, I found him through Instagram. Uh, Roberlin, I found through the site called Dribble. I don't know if you yeah, know. We love Dribble. Love, love Dribble. Yeah, so I love okay. Dribble. A great, great uh, platform for, for uh, designers and creatives. So that's where I found Roberlin because I was looking for, I was actually looking for the design for my Platinum Kush Breath. I wanted something that's kind of like pop art slash comic book looking. Mm-hmm. So um, I was looking through Dribble for pop art type style and Roberlin came up. I loved his bright colors. I love some of the, the Japanese type and uh, yeah. uh, themes that he was doing. And, the vibe. Yeah. yeah. And, and we just kind of clicked. You know, we, we've been working together for about two and a half years now. We have a great relationship. And, um, you know, he gets me, I get mm. him. So it's just like, you wow. know, we just really connect so well. I love it. Dope. Have you guys ever met in person? Not yet. Not yet. And he's in Brazil, right? He's in Brazil. That's yeah. so cool. One, one day we will. Once all this COVID shit kind of yeah. dies down and mm-hmm. travel opens back up yeah. and yeah. people feel a bit safer. But, you know, I, I we'll, we'll definitely meet in person. And he's such a great person to work with. He does all of my bag designs, all the templates, all the pre-roll stuff for me. Um, he he designs all that's of my cool pieces. That, like, that's honestly you went yeah. To him and you thought of doing that because yeah. like most people, it's what their minds are here yeah. locally. But like yeah. you just took in so much culture. Well, like, and to be on the artist side, to be knowing what your designs are being used for, like this is in the hands of so many people, yeah. and it's so cool well, that that's honestly how yeah. I found like found out about. Papa Jesus was yeah. from being at the Wilder's house. Yeah. And, yeah. 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 And, 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 they were like, have you and, seen this guy? Like, and we were like, no. It was the, the, the bags yeah. he had lined mm-hmm. up that yeah. I was like, what? They're like, so attractive. I, that was like eye-catching immediately. Well, yeah. yeah. And he smokes only but good weed. So yeah. like we knew, we knew that was some <laughs> yes, good stuff. You know what absolutely. I mean? You guys know we love talking about new brands in the market. So Meat Dazed. Their products are handcrafted. So every one of their infused pre-rolls is packed by hand, not a machine, which I know every flower smoker can appreciate. 
They also take time to perfect their mix with live resin, keef, and indoor flour into every single joint. Dazed is veteran-owned, which we love, and they take huge pride in being a brand that the everyday person can afford with quality while keeping Oklahoma groovy. Check on Weed Maps to find Dazed in your local Oklahoma dispensary. Now, let's get back to today's episode. Them. I mean, they, they've kind of followed a lot of the same journey. Texas, yeah. Oregon. Yeah, yes. I know. So, yeah, cool. we have a great relationship. Um, you know, we don't we don't get the time to sesh much. You know, because we're yeah. both so busy. Yes. But, but when we do, it's always a good time. But yeah, but yeah. I mean, I, I love the art. You know, I've always loved art. I've always loved music. Um, and if there's a way to kind of bring all this together to cannabis, I mean, it's just kind of creates a life it's, I really want to be a part of. Yeah, I know. I love same. that. Yeah. That's so cool. That's really cool, which is a great transition into <laughs> we've seen an overwhelming in the best way amount of love and outpour from the community for what you're doing and the way in which you're putting yourself on the map. What's been your favorite thing about seeing your flower in other people's hands and filling their lives? You know, I think it's just... Um, I think it's just being able to share it with people. You know, I think yeah. that's 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 the reason why I love to grow. That go, what's that's what gives me the motivation. You know, if if I was able to give this out, you know, and and still be able to survive, yeah. you know, financially, I would do it. You know, mm-hmm. I love being able to share. I love being able to, you know, see the smiles on people's faces. But you know, really get. I, I have patients call me. You know, they call me and tell me how great it's been for them, that it make, this is the best that it's make, made them feel, that it's helping them through the oh, day. That's that, amazing. You know, so, so being able to, to hear that from very, the patients yeah. is very rewarding. Um, just really being able to share it with others um, and, and really just see the growth out here, not just from my brand, but from others as well. Yeah. Um, you know, because I spent time on the West Coast and, I, you know, I've seen the movement out there. But really coming to Oklahoma in the last two years to see how it's really progressed over the last two years from seeing Rice Krispie Treats and sandwich yeah. bags yes. <laughs> to, to now seeing how, you know, the, the evolution of products and brands are on the shelves and their packaging and really just being a part of that and being able to contribute to the culture out here is just is what's been pretty amazing. That is amazing. Yeah. I like that. So as a grower, what would you say is the most challenging aspect about providing medicine to patients in Oklahoma? Sure. I think right now for me, it's just having, having the, the flower uh, available on a consistent basis because it, yeah. you know, it's, it's a good thing and a bad thing. I, I do appreciate the fact that, um, people are enjoying it. They're buying it. They're seeking it. I mean, there's some patients driving from out of state, Missouri, Arkansas, all over Texas wow. to come and find it. Um, but at the same time, because it, it, it doesn't stay in the store so long, I'm not able to reach as many people as I'd like, you know, and also cultivating it more on a smaller scale is I can't hit, you know, every dispensary across the state. I stay pretty tight knit, you Mm -hmm. know, within, you know, you know, 15 to 20 different dispensaries trying to hit different parts of the state. So I'm not able to really reach as many people as I would like. So I think that's probably the biggest challenge for me right now. Would that be like a, if you grew your team type thing, yeah. you'd be yeah. able to do that? 100%. Yeah. And, and that, it's not and a bad problem to have, no. but I totally see the method yeah. in your head. Yeah. So that's coming. Um, this next year is going to be a really great year. Um, you know, I, I, especially with the other room getting up and running in the next four to six weeks, some of these expansion facilities. Um, so I will be able to, you know, have it on, more have it out on a more consistent basis, but also a tremendous amount of variety too. Yeah, I want I want I want people to really experience the, the different varieties that these breeders are creating, and that I'm taking the time as a as a cultivator to really sort through and pick out the best and the best for the patients. I like that. Yeah. That's yeah. important. I That's have, very important. It's a trusted source yes. too, you know. Yeah, absolutely. So let's flip the script again and talk about metric. I know that's a weird subject right now as there is a lot that's unknown, especially in Oklahoma. As a grower, what's your take on that and how do you think that will bring benefit to our state? Yeah, I mean, I think this is just a tough topic for a lot of people because, you know, you, ha- you have people who are completely against any type of seed to sell tracking or any type of compliance. But, you know, as a business owner and, you know, for someone who wants to try to do everything the right way, I think it's important, whether it be metric or any other seed to sell tracking, to have these compliance measures and regulations in place is not necessarily a bad thing. Mm-hmm. It kind of weeds out the ones who don't belong here and allows the ones who want to do it the right way to really continue to be successful without the worry of being shut down or illegally raided or something like that. Um, you know, for me, I have an OCD with the way that I 
do things and processes and stuff. So this is just an added layer for me to really stay on top of inventory, stay on top of tagging the plants and tracking it from start to finish. Yeah. So I'm, I'm not totally against it at all. Yeah. I, I use metric in Oregon. And I think, you know, I, I understand the concerns with the monopoly of using one company and mm-hmm. having to use one company to purchase tags from and all that. I get it 100%. But at the same time, regardless if you buy the tags from metric or buy them from outside vendor, you're still going to have to pay for them. Sorry. You're still going okay. to you're still gonna have to pay for them. Um, you know, when you look at the monthly cost of metric compared to the monthly cost of some of these other seed to sell tracking platforms, it's it's a it's a tremendous difference. I mean, you look at say metric, it's like 40 bucks a month. The tags I think are like 45 cents each. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, it's still an expense. Um, You also have added expense with labor because Mm -hmm. handling the compliance, tagging all these plants, that shit takes time. I mean, it takes, it takes a lot of time, you know, but you also look at some other seed to sell platforms like uh, Growflow is one I use. I mean, it's like $400 a month. So you're paying $400 a month and still having to buy tags. So you're paying more for essentially the same thing. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, I get it. I get where people are kind of against it. Um, but I, I personally like the idea of having structure, structure in yeah. place. Absolutely. Yeah, that's, that's good. I like that. Makes me trust, trust you more. That, but it, it, that's like a very mature answer. Yes. You know, you're seeing it through a different light and you're not just like, oh, we have so much more shit we have to do now. Yeah. You know, which I know a lot of people see mm-hmm. it that way and it's a pain in the ass, but... Sometimes, perspective sometimes people and things strive thrive in structure so yeah. like mm-hmm. could be really good i agree would you how do you think it would affect like actual patients with metric um i don't i don't or really does it? yeah i don't i don't think i think it's going to be seamless to the patients yeah. um i think where you might see some issues at first is everybody trying to transition to it you know, there could be a delay in getting product from, you know, a processor or cultivator to a dispensary because, you know, the manifest wasn't created right or, you know, one or the other is not listed in the system. So there's no way to link it. So I think initially you might see a little bit of a um, an issue with maybe getting product on the shelves. There might be a little delay, but I think with the, with the patient, it's going to be pretty seamless. That's good. That's yeah, good for everyone. That's here good to too, know. Like. So another big topic that is often misunderstood and misinterpreted is testing, which it shouldn't be, but it is. Anyone that is in the industry knows that testing in our state is a sticky subject because the accuracy is very inaccurate. What are your thoughts on that as a grower, especially one that has been in Oregon and testing is, I mean, medicinal was a Thing there before what's that been like for you what are your take what's your take on that yeah so i mean this te- testing is going to be an issue an ongoing issue in any state you know there's going to be so many inconsistencies um you know you're going to have you know unfortunately it's a numbers game you know so the higher your test on thc the higher mm-hmm. you test the the uh, the more you're going to get you know, per pound, at least that's, at least that's what it was like in Oregon for a while. So, so when that happens, you kind of create a shady type environment where you have some labs that are going to inflate the numbers just to get more business. Um, and you know, it's, it's going to happen in every market. Um, I think, you know, it's just, it's just hard to really get away from that, you know, and as, as someone who relies on not just accurate testing, but also, you know, getting tests back as quickly as possible. Mm-hmm. It's, it's important to to have both of those, you know, accurate testing and timeliness and getting it back. Um, but as far as overcoming that, I, I just think it's always going to be ongoing. Ongoing, You yeah. know, I mean, that, that's where the state, I think, I think that's where the state has to really step in and really figure out a way to, to, to regulate the labs more on a consistent level. But when you have new labs popping up or, um, you know, maybe labs who aren't getting as much business, but, you know, they're going to now start inflating the numbers. They Mm -hmm. do start getting more business. And that's what you'll see. I mean, I think I think they did test in Oregon when I was out there where they tested like six or eight different labs with the same strain. And they were all different, you Mm. know, just. Interesting. So many inconsistencies. Yeah. That is wild. I'm sure you'd find that here, too. Yeah, Yeah. you do. And and I and I and, you know, and not just. You know, I don't want to say everyone's being shady as well, but there's a lot of new labs out here that have never tested cannabis before. You know, they've come from the oil field or they test water, or they test yeah, other I mean, that's or real. food, yeah. you know, other, other types of, um, 
you know, products and stuff. Or So they haven't necessarily tested cannabis before. So there's a big learning curve. It's like investors coming in with money for in the cannabis market who know nothing about cannabis. Uh, yeah. you know, it's kind of like that same mindset. Yeah. 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 So, mm-hmm. I, so, I mean, I think it's just going to be an ongoing challenge in every market. I think for me as a grower is finding a lab that I have a great relationship with. Mm-hmm. Yes. That I've, that I've seen consistency harvest over harvest. I mean... Mm-hmm. You know, if I'm running some of the strain, same strains, you know, over and over each each run, I know where they're generally going to fall with, with THC, with terpenes. Um, so if I see some inconsistencies, if I see some inconsistencies, um, you know, I'm going to ask the lab, hey, have you guys done any ca- recent calibrations? What's going on? And what you'll find out is typically right after they have an OMA, o, OMA inspection mm-hmm. or an OMA audit, their numbers drop down somehow. So I've, I've noticed that mm, with a few different labs. But, but um, you know, I've, I found a lab I, that I work with that I've been running, you know, for this past year that I, I, I think they do a phenomenal job. It's Verde testing. Okay. Um, so I've seen consistency with them. Um, I have a great relationship with them. And I'll probably stick with them until I see something different, you know. Yeah, that's cool. It's good for people to know that. I feel like as a uh-huh. patient – you don't think to ask those questions because you just blindly trust that everyone's just doing things the right way. It goes back to like trusting your grower, exactly. knowing your source, yeah. like, and having a relationship. And so I think it's important that people hear answers sure. like these from growers because I think it's cool. It gives them perspective on what they're smoking, who they're consuming, and actively like seeking right. more knowledge and information on these topics, Absolutely. which I think is important. Yeah. So is there anything that you would say that's really surprised you about like being in the Oklahoma cannabis community that you weren't expecting whenever you got in? Yeah, I think it's just um, how receptive the people have been and how how strong the community is starting to build, you know? Yes, I agree. And, and, and you'll see this, um, you know, in the cannabis space. You know, when you, look at, when you look at cannabis as a whole, there's a lot of businesses out there. There's a lot of brands, a lot of people um, who have stuff going on across the, you know, the United States and all the legal markets. But in reality, when you when you really narrow the scope inside these different markets, you'll see that the cannabis communities are really smaller than you think, mm-hmm. you know, but they're strong and they're building strong. And, right. Yeah. And people are having a really good time coming together. We've seen that with the sesh. We've seen that with yeah. you know, cloud fest festival, mm-hmm. some of these different events that are going on. Uh, but what has really surprised me is how people are treating it more as the norm here. It start, yeah. It's starting to normalize. In the Bible yes. Belt. In yeah. the Bible Belt. Which is cool. I mean, come on. I can, I'm bringing a name, Papa Jesus. I know. <laughs> I know. And people are buying it right up. The, They're eating it the up. Bible, you know, so it's pretty cool. You know, so, um, yeah, I mean, I think that surprised me. I mean, how you can just, you know, go to Gaudi's or somewhere and go on the rooftop and, you know, have something to eat, a drink, and smoke a joint. Yeah, you know, so. that's your sign, Saba. I've been talking to her about Gaudi's, and she's like, <laughs> Okay, I'm not sure. And I'm like, Saba, you've never eaten there. We said this yesterday, and then you just said Gaiutis. Okay, so. fine. We'll go to Gaiutis for dinner tonight. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. We're going I, to Gaiutis um, for dinner. <laughs> I like it. I think I think they have really good food. I think it's like, um, I don't know how to describe it. It's more like a, um, I wouldn't say upscale stoner food, but it's it has... They have some. They have some unique <laughs> options that are really good. Yeah. Okay, all right. You sold her, we'll I go think. there for dinner tonight. Then you yeah. can smoke a joint on the rooftop. Is that yeah, what you said? Absolutely. I think that's what you sold me on. That's what really sold me on. <laughs> yeah, so it's, it's a cool spot. But I think that's another thing that surprised me is just how open a lot of these establishments establishments mm-hmm. have been. Yeah. How open people are to it. I mean, we think of people that you know haven't necessarily had a direct relation to cannabis because it's been legal. Um, you know, I, I give an example of. Uh, my electrician, who also does my mechanical and HVAC, it's a family-owned business. They are, you know, they they're church-going people, mm-hmm. Baptist, but they're open to cannabis, and you know, it's beautiful. It, it is beautiful, mm-hmm. and, yeah. and, and you look at what cannabis has done for their business because they their their contractors, general contractors, were you know, their I wouldn't say their work or their jobs have been slow, but now because of the increase in cannabis businesses come in, mm-hmm. it's just increased their work, you know, from my cultivation to other dispensaries right. to everything else. And that's just one example. But when you look at what it's done to the economy as a whole out here, from people moving in to real estate to contractors to even security yeah. companies, people who aren't necessarily cannabis businesses but are 
involved in it by these bills and contracts. It's yes. really creating jobs and, and boosting the economy. Yeah, it is. If you cool. follow OMMA on Facebook and you get to see all the reporting numbers, yeah, it crazy. is insane every single month, yeah. like how much it just goes up and up and up mm. on licenses on all levels. Yeah. Which and is, money. Yeah, like, which is really yeah. cool. Yeah. It is cool. State of Oklahoma, baby. I know. We love <laughs> to see it. So where do you hope to see Papa Jesus go and what big things can patients expect from you and your team? Yeah, um, so, you know, we, we are expanding um, here at our OKC facility. Uh, that's going to give us the ability to really do more pheno hunting and, you know, can keep the genetics fresh and, and ongoing uh, for the patients. You know, I think it's key to give variety. For me, it's, it's um, you know, I'm trying to, trying to move towards this seasonal batch approach uh, with the way that I cultivate. So you almost think of like a... Um, farm-to-table type restaurant, yeah, right? Yeah, so, for so, Yeah, so same thing. So, you know, they, they take what seasonal fruits, vegetables, uh, proteins, and that's what they structure their menus around, the, their fall, winter, spring, summer type menus. So I want to do the same thing that's with so cannabis. Cool. Mm-hmm. You know, really structure more of my heavy indicas, my grapes, uh, my kushes more towards the fall, winter it. type. That's and then, sick. And start bringing more of the brighter flavors in yeah. hey. spring, summers, like you your, know? your gelatos, uh, your lemon ice cream, yeah. And yeah. that stuff. So really just trying to keep it fresh and keep the variety out there. Um, also looking at uh, rolling out pre-rolls this next year. I've been kind of kind of going through R&D for really, really for several months now because I want I want, I'm going to do all flour, but I want to, the paper is important to me. So really mm-hmm. just trying to, I'm sampling through different different manufacturers of papers to find one that really burns the way I want it to burn and good. and and uh, preserves the taste without you know making it all nasty. Yeah, no, thanks for taking yeah. the time to do that yes. and caring enough yes. to do that. Absolutely. You know, you know, uh, you know. A few other things is um, you know the expansion facilities out here that I'm taking on more as a consultant approach. Okay, um, I'm working with uh, you know my partners on the consulting group, which is Fino Group. So is uh, Dustin and Django. They're they're the ones that have the Oklahoma Kush dispensaries out here that are getting ready to cool. open pretty soon. Um, so we we uh, we do consulting for other facilities, other retail, other brands, not just here in Oklahoma, but also um, we're, we're working on some projects in Illinois, New Jersey, wow, wow, expanding really cool. yeah. in, in Michigan. So you know, the goal over this next year is is I would love to have the brand in certain genetics and other markets, yeah. um, and and help design and and uh, uh, train, implement SOPs into some of these other facilities as well. It's pretty cool that, like, yeah. Papa Jesus Farms is, like, originating in Oklahoma, though. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. Like, Crazy. everything you're doing, it's yeah. like, yeah, you're about to go mm-hmm. to other places Well, and, and it's stuff, cool because you hear that like, they bought, like, cookies comes from California and, yeah. like, all these California brands, but now we have this Oklahoma, Oklahoma brand that's infiltrating all these other yeah. states, and I think that's so dope because whenever it becomes recreational and we yes. get to go shop, we will know exactly what we're it's looking hit for. Close yeah, to so close. 100%. You know, that's why I put the made in Oklahoma on the back of all the bags because I think it's something to be proud of, you know? Um, Hell yeah. I, I'm, I'm, definitely, <laughs> I'm definitely proud to be here. This is yeah. uh, Oklahoma's yeah. giving me that platform and opportunity to really build the brand and do what I love. That's so awesome. That's amazing. Well, we're grateful for people like you that are really striving in our industry to make it the best that it can be with the cleanest that it can be. Right. So thank you for what you do. Appreciate it. So what would you say as a piece of advice that for any kind of patient listening that may not know how to find good quality medicine and doesn't know what to look for as a beginner in such a vast industry? Like what's just like a solid piece of advice? Yeah, I mean, it's it can be very overwhelming. I get it. I mean, you walk into dispensaries, especially for your first time, and even second, third, fourth time, it, it can be very intimidating, very overwhelming because there's a lot of products. When you look at edibles, a lot of products. When you look at vapes, concentrates, a lot of products. Same right. thing with flowers. So it's like, how do you how do you know what to go for? I think so. I think my my one piece of advice is for patients to don't be afraid to ask questions. You know, don't be afraid to tell the bud tenders what it is that you're wanting or needing it for. You know, that's the bud tender's job is they're, they're there to educate the patients. They're there to understand, um, you know, the brands that are putting the products on the shelves, how they're, you know, and, I, and I'm going to derail for a minute, but I think this is where I'd like to see bud tenders. Um, and and it, maybe it's maybe it's something that us growers, processors can do a better job of as well, but educate the bud tenders need to have education around the growing methods, mm-hmm. the lineage of the strains, yes. so they can convey that to the patient. You know, yeah. you know, organic, clean organic medicine, the way it's grown, cultivated, could yes. be very that's important how, to like someone. in Mosaic, they have yeah. that written out of 
yeah. but like if it was in living soil, like yeah. next to the strain and like, I can't tell you where else no, I, I, really. I really see that, but no. it's, it's no. just what you're saying. Mm-hmm. Sure. So, so I think that's, I think that's key. I think, I think it's as a patient, ask the questions, you know, tell the butt tender what it is that you're needing it for. And again, it, it's vice versa. The butt tender should be asking these questions. Yes. Yeah. You know, so, cause there, there's a, there's a number of products that could um, help patients in every aspect, depending on what their need is. So I think it's just asking the questions on both sides and uh, continuously trying to educate yourself either through, you know, doing some research online prior to going in mm-hmm. to understand the different cannabinoids, you know, CBG, CBN, CBD, yeah. how do these interact with your body? You yeah. know, is is a one-to-one uh, tincture, is that going to be more beneficial for you than just a straight-up THC? THC right. You know, so understanding these things, I think, is, is key as well. And the research is worth yeah. it. Mm-hmm. I know it's like a pain in the ass sometimes if you think yeah. about it, but, like, it, it's worth it. You it's feel important. more prepared yeah. and you know what you're doing. So yeah. It's really important. Yeah. So, Clint, we like to ask everyone this that comes through. What is the stigma that you would like to see changed revolving cannabis? Yeah, I think it's just uh, going back to normalizing it, you know, and, and – um, you know, I think the biggest stigma is that, and and I will I will kind of speak to my age here because, you know, I, I, you know, 90s was really the prime years for me as far as high school goes because, I mean, there, there was a lot of uh, change happening in the world from, you know, the evolution of really some of the, the best hip-hop, I think, and some of the music, um, you know, from fashion and everything, and you know, and you look at years prior to that, um, you know, especially the baby baby boomer generation, like my parents, is they are always beat down with cannabis is bad for you. It's it's right. evil. Mm-hmm. You know, the whole reefer madness era and the war on uh, the the dare program, war on drugs. Dare I grew program. Up, yeah, I grew up through all that, mm-hmm. and um, so I think it's just changing the the perception. And I, I you know, it's it's naturally changing now because some of the younger generations aren't beat down with with it being bad, like, like my generation was. And, um, I think it's just constantly just educating people, normalizing it to where it's not necessarily evil. It's not bad. It has, it has medicinal benefits, you know, it's just as normal as having a glass of wine, a beer, smoking a cigarette, you know? So you see that changing. I see it changing pretty fast here. More people are open to it. Um, so that's, that's one stigma I'd really like to change is that it's just it's evil, it's bad, it's a drug. Yeah. Know? Yeah. Amen to that. That's good. Yeah. Well, Clint, I think this wraps up okay. today's episode. Thank you so much yes. for being here. We had a really fun conversation. I feel like I love Papa Jesus Farms <laughs> even more now. I know. I know. I know. More about you yes. and like the passion and discipline that you pour into what you're doing. Sure. Yeah. So thank you for that. So stay tuned for next week's episode, guys. And as always, um, stay medicated. <laughs> Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Season one of Dope History is now available at dopehistory.com. Dope History weaves you through the lives of those who have been touched by cannabis or have had an influence on the events that shaped our laws or relationships with this plant. You'll hear tales from Frenchie Cannoli, Keith Strop, Eddie Lepp, Tom Alexander, Ed Rosenthal, Wolf Seagull, Jorge Cervantes, and Tommy Chong. Available now at dopehistory.com.